Wouldn't it be great if you could earn the CEUs you need by listening to a podcast? Well, now you can. We have partnered with speechpathology.com to offer CEUs on select autism outreach podcasts like this one. Just head over to speechpathology.com and sign up to enjoy unlimited access for a full year for $99. That's unlimited 24-7 access to hundreds of online courses offered for ASHA CEUs, including live webinars, on-demand videos, audio, and text courses, plus select autism outreach podcasts for just $99 a year. Finally, earning CEUs is as easy and stress-free as listening to your favorite podcast. Just visit speechpathology.com and use promo code AUTISM at checkout. That's speechpathology.com, promo code AUTISM to get started today. I had a great chat today with Kimberly Scanlon. She is a licensed and certified speech-language pathologist, best-selling author, and parent who's helped countless individuals and families learn to joyfully communicate. I love the idea of joyful communication. We unpack a lot of great information about language development strategies for busy parents. So if you are working with younger students, you are going to learn very actionable tips and strategies that you can help coach your parents to implement into their very busy day. We talk about how to have joyful interactions with your kids. And the one thing that Kimberly said that really stuck with me is how to be fully present with your child. And I think even us providers, this is important for us to reflect on. I know that sometimes when I'm in therapy, I might be thinking about the progress note that I have to report or the IEP that I have to attend. But this idea of being fully present and enjoying the moment with our clients and with our children. She coaches parents and talks with them about what does your day look like? What do you like to do with your child? And so we talk about embedding language across the day through daily routines, developmentally appropriate appropriate chores, how to help parents understand how to embed these things across the day without feeling overwhelmed. I can't wait for you guys to listen to this episode. Let's get started. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast, a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. Thanks for joining us on episode 27 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. My name is Rose Griffin. I am here to help you learn strategies you can use in your therapy sessions tomorrow to help your students. Today we have with us Kimberly Scanlon. Thanks for joining us, Kimberly. It's so nice to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. And I, I met Kimberly on Instagram where I talk about social media a lot because let's face it, I'm on there a lot. And um, I just always loved your your Instagram. And I think maybe we even did a collaboration last summer where yes, you provided yes, some... Course. Did we? Okay, cool. Yeah. Where we provided information about early intervention. And she just has a, gr- a lot of great resources and just really functional stuff. So I'm excited to, uh, to have you on. Can you tell us a little bit about you and your journey? Sure. I am a New Jersey licensed and ASHA certified speech-language pathologist. I've been practicing for about 13 years, and I am also a mother. I have two children. I have a small little private practice in Ramsey, and I see a lot of toddlers and preschoolers 
and I've written two books on toddler language development. Wow, that's amazing. I think I knew that you had one book. Okay, so two books. That's really cool. So did you, are they available on Amazon or on your website or how do you sell them? Okay. Um, the first book I wrote was My Toddler Talks, which is basically, it's a book about play and how to use play to facilitate language. And then my second book is My Toddler's First Words, which is a little bit more step-by-step. And it teaches you how to informally assess your toddler's language to see like what kind of words they have and what words you can target for getting them to to, to, to say their first words, to try, try to jumpstart those first words. Oh, that's so cool. I love that. So have you always had your own private practice? Is that where you've spent most of your career in private practice? So I started actually at a hospital. I was at a hospital for two years. And before I got married, I worked in so many different settings. And just to like make that extra money doing per diem work. So I worked in nursing homes. I worked in early intervention. I worked in a school system. And I, now I'm, I'm working in my, pri- my own little private practice. I worked for other people's private practices. Okay. Oh, that's great. I love that. Yeah. Cause at ABA speech, that's kind of growing part of our businesses. You know, we're offering teletherapy now in 11 different states and abroad, depending on your country. I just did a consult with a parent today and I was like, let me check on your country. So I'm like researching on Ash. I'm like, oh yes. Okay. We can help you. We can help you and follow all the rules and see your child. Well, that's really exciting. It's nice to have your own practice because you can do things that way that you think you want to help your clients and students. And so that's, um, that's really exciting. And I think that's parents at this. This is why I love to have people on who specialize in early intervention because I think as providers, sometimes when we're working with younger students, it's just, it's such an exciting time. Like one year I was, I specialized in just preschool and I really loved that. I love what I do now, which is kind of a mix, but that preschool year is so dynamic. Like I remember having kids come in and they would have an IEP or, a you know, goals. And then I would start seeing them for a couple months and then it was like they were discharged. It was really just such a time of growth that it's it's really an amazing time. I mean, on one end, it's really emotional because parents are just at a loss for, you know, how do I help my child? So it's it's great that you saw a need. Did you just kind of see a need when you were working in early intervention that that's what prompted you to write the book? You know, I what I really like, yes, yes, that's what prompted me to write the books because I felt like I was just creating a lot of my own material to give to parents. And then I, my, my toddler t- talks came out in, at the end of 2012. So it's been out for a while. And then I came out with my toddler talks in 2019. So no, 2019 or 2018. But anyway, I find that I started my practice because I wanted the autonomy mm-hmm. and I wanted, I really like working with the parents because I like the counseling aspect. Mm-hmm. So I find that when you have a toddler who's not talking, they the parents are on their own journey. They're on this journey and they're on this quest and they they need a lot of support and they need a lot of like mutual collab they need like a good collab it's a, it's a mm-hmm. collaboration. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt like I, I really, really enjoy that part. And I think that I'm I'm pretty good at it, yeah. making people feel that empowered and making them feel confident in developing their toddler's language. So I I do see a need for that in New Jersey. That's great. Yeah, because I do think at that age, parents are just kind of at a loss. And I think one of the things that speech therapists are good at is is celebrating the small wins that are actually really big wins. Like I know that I was just at a client's house on Monday and I was like, 
oh my gosh, he labeled Apple for the first time. Like I didn't ask him. He just, we had cards out and we were playing a game and we were putting them in this little bucket and he was just like going around labeling them and we had never worked on that before. And so to point out like, wow, that's really exciting. Like this is exciting, you know? And then just the different ways that we can use our communication. Like the student looked at me, wanted bubbles, said bubbles. I was like, actually made a reel about it and it's it's gotten a lot of views, but I was like, oh my gosh, I, I'm really this excited still after um, practicing. I've been practicing about 20 years. How, how long have you been in the field? 13. Okay. Okay, great. Yeah. So it's, it's just such a joy. Yeah. It, the, to see those first words, to see those, those times where the parents are excited and to be able to, to counsel. I agree. I think that's what's so nice about home health or having your own private practices. You do have less barriers to communication with parents because I do work in a public school three days a week and I do have ongoing communication with parents, but there's just a lot of barriers because you don't see them all the time. You know, there are some parents I see more I'm in email contact with, but it's just a lot harder. So that's really, that's really great that you do that. So I know today what we're going to be talking about is um, early intervention and language development strategies for busy parents, which I love because every parent I feel like is so busy. And I just know from my own kids who are typically developing, but just getting the reading requirement in, you know, reading 20 minutes a day, just all the things that my own kids need to do, let alone trying to incorporate therapy for people. It's really hard. And I think that can be really overwhelming for parents. And I know sometimes as a parent, if I feel like I have too many things to do, I'm almost like paralyzed and I can't like do any of the things. That's kind of like anything in my life. Like I got all these tech things we were saying before that we're going to eventually segue to a video podcast cast too. And I had all these things set out and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't get started. I'm I'm paralyzed with all the things. Um, do you feel like some parents feel that way or even some providers with early intervention? I definitely feel parents do. I mean, especially with this pandemic, I think that parents have been incredibly stressed out. And I, I think one silver lining of the pandemic is that they've slowed down a little bit. I mean, now, now we're coming out of the pandemic, thank God. But I feel like they may have slowed down, but their stress was still there because so much more was on their plate. Like during the pandemic, there was the financial stress, the isolation, mm-hmm. sickness, fear of getting sick, but also like the lack of daycare, lack of, of, of in-person education. So this was put on parents' plates. So I feel that as a parent, it is very easy to get caught up being busy. And you have to, as a speech therapist, respect that parents feel overwhelmed and busy. So when you provide them a home program, you really have to think, is this something that's meaningful to them? Is it something that's realistic that they can actually implement at home. So I think that that's where you know, I start thinking about like, busy parents. It's not like, you know, I've just came out of grad school and I'm like, oh, this parent can play with their child for an hour a day and, you know, work a full-time job and do all the chores. They need to find a way to make it, to, to easily incorporate it into their daily routines and into their life. Yes. So, Yeah. That's, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think that's so important and knowing how to embed it. So how do you have some general strategies that are typically ones that you share or ones that you think would be good for any speech therapists that are listening today? Yes. So what I typically ask for parents is, what is your what does your day look like? What are some routines that happen a lot throughout your day? What do you like to do with your child? Because there are some parents who either you know don't have time to play with their child, don't like playing with their child, don't feel comfortable with it, or they may 
may, instead of playing, they may really like to read to their child or they may like to cook with their child or bake with their child. So I think it's about, I'm a huge believer in play. I think that you should try to gently encourage parents who don't even, who may not like to be a little bit more standoff, standoffish with play Mm -hmm. to try to build in play routines into their day. Of course, you don't have to do it for an hour, but like little, you know, spurts throughout Mm -hmm. the day, I think are very, very effective. And I think not only for the child, for their development, but also it makes the parent feel better. And I feel like it creates a better bond if you're doing it because you are finding joy in it. If you're doing it just because it's a chore, because your speech therapist told you to do it, that's not going to be as fun. It's not going to be as meaningful to them. So I really think that you have to get the parent on board by first exploring what they like to do with their kids. So asking what they like, what they, how busy is the parent? When is the best time of day to do this with them? So taking a moment throughout the day, taking a routine and building a connection. And I find that, you know, for instance, maybe the best part of the day is when they first wake up. And every time they wake up, you go over there and you give them a big bear hug. And you can say something that's really sweet and predictable to them. Like for instance, you may not be a person who always wants to play with their child, but you could be a person who makes interactions very playful. So for one instance, my grandmother, not my grandmother, my mother-in-law, she's not a real like person who would sit down and play with my kids, but she was. she's very good at finger plays. She's very good at singing nursery rhymes. And whenever she says goodnight to the kids, she always says, good night. God bless you. I love you. Mm-hmm. And so every my, par- my my kids as a result, all, and she gives them three kisses. Mm-hmm. So they know that and they know what to expect. And so if you were to say something, I mean, it doesn't have to be that phrase. It could be a mm-hmm. phrase that, you know, maybe it's I don't know, a phrase that you make up, something that's cute and predictable, right. but you can leave off then segments and they can try to say it, but, you know, it's a sentence completion task. Oh yeah. So, yeah. yeah I, I love that. Yeah, I do. I have this prayer that I say to my kids, but you know, and I have always done it before bed. And even my daughter who's 10 will be at a slumber party and she'll say, say the blah, 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 you know, like, yeah. um, and it's nice because it is familiar. And I think that that is like a bonding moment. I talk about that a lot when I tend to work with older students in a public school setting. And so I talk about how sometimes when students get older or students have more complex needs or more need more support, sometimes it's hard for parents to have those shared joyful moments, you know? And so I talk a lot about modified leisure skills, like doing yoga with your kids mm-hmm. and, you know, like weightlifting and like taking a walk. And even though these things are simplistic things, they can really be a bonding moment, just like you're saying something familiar, something you're doing together. And I think when students are younger, that's what's so exciting is that there's so many different opportunities. Um, and when stu- students get older, you just have to be more creative about those shared, enjoyed moments. So I love yes, that definitely. idea that it doesn't have to be something that's, you know, totally done up. And it can be something that is close to your personality, like you said. Yeah. Um, it can yeah. be adapted for the culture that the family right. may be in, their nationality, their language. And I just think that it, it just is something that they can then pass down to their children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a tradition. Yeah, like a tradition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. So what do you, tell me about when you're doing early intervention. So are you providing services typically in a home setting or are you going to schools? Or I know COVID has kind of made everything a little oh, different. I know. But... COVID. So I used to have a, an office and oh. I had to close it in May. So okay. now I'm, I've been back to doing home visits since June. So I've been, I've been back to doing them pretty soon, like, 
you know, for, I've been doing them for a long time throughout the pandemic, wearing mm-hmm. masks and stuff and being safe. But yeah, now, now I do it at home, but I'll probably get my office back. Okay. Oh, that's great. So what is your, so when you're doing early intervention, because I know that there's a lot of different people that approach early intervention in different ways, you know, as far as how involved the parent is or guardian or just whoever is there in the home. What would you say the percentages of, you know, you interacting with the child, you coaching the parent, like, do you have a thought on that or strategies if somebody is listening and they're like, okay, I'm starting this early intervention job, like, how do I set up these sessions? Or do you have a thought about that? Or is it every case is different? I would say... I always have the parents in the session. The parents are in the session. They are they are coached. They are performing activities. We're all kind of like sitting almost in a circle. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know, we have a small area. I usually recommend that we do the therapy in a bedroom or in an area. Like the, the parents are always like, oh, let's do it in the playroom. I'm like, no, let's not do it in the playroom <laughs> because we're going to get too distracted by all the toys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but then that's an opportunity to talk to parents about toy rotation and making sure there's not too many things out at mm-hmm. this at one time. But yeah, so I usually train the parents and they're they're involved in the therapy. Oh, that's great. I, I would yeah. say percentage-wise, I mean, I'm working with the child too. Right. But the parent... I So in the state of New Jersey, it's now an early intervention. It's very different than private practice in the sense that you can't bring in your own toys. So you're oh. bagless. Oh, okay. So that's a yeah. thing. Can you explain what that is a little bit about that? I'm curious. I've heard that on some Facebook groups, but if other people are living in New Jersey, I do some provide um provide some mentorship to somebody that's in New Jersey but I I they're not an early intervention but I have heard this idea of bagless so is the idea just to use what's in the child's natural environment use what's or in the, in the child's home okay but since I'm you know clinic based or I'm not I'm not in the state I don't work in, for the state mm-hmm. I work for myself so my approach is I I respect that approach that approach is evidence based and makes sense but I still like to shake things up with a little bit of my own toys and novelty and spice things up that way. But I think you do have to respect like the parents' environment and include some of their toys. Like a lot of times parents, it will click when they see how you're playing with a toy or just taking a regular object and starting to show like how you can play with it. Or I think a lot of times the note, like was at the last five minutes of my sessions, I'm writing the note Mm -hmm. for them that reviews the session and, you know, gives them a little bit of a home program for the week. And that's sometimes where I'll do even more coaching to say, oh, he just, he just pointed to the water, but he didn't say anything. And you just gave it to him without, you know, like, let's see how we could change that up so that he could try to get the the word water out or try to get him to request a little bit instead of just, you know, going up and not looking at it. Try, maybe try to get more joint attention, try to get him to look at you more, like take the water and, and hold it up to your face and you know pretend to take a drink, like make it more playful and like, oh, we want the water. Mm-hmm. Water, here's the water. Yeah. And I think, you know, as, I, as I'm an older therapist seasoned, I, you know, yeah. I feel very comfortable coaching parents like that because I really, having done this almost 20 years and having kids of my own, you know, I feel comfortable coaching parents. I think sometimes when you're 23, just out of school as a new speech, therapist that that can be a little kind of like, who am I to tell you what to do? So do you feel like over time, you've kind of honed that skill of parent training and coaching and things like that? I probably have. I mean, I probably can relate to a a busy, stressed out parent. And 
I think I can relate to how a parent would want to be spoken to mm-hmm. <laughs> when they may have right. been up all night with their second child. And right. but I, I do think that in our profession, like we attract such young, like such caring people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that most people have the best intentions. So I think that, you know, when I first started, like for instance, I would I would think it was like, oh, I remember think, saying to myself, Oh, my kids are never gonna get screen time. They're never gonna get screen time. And then like, you know, yeah. <laughs> what happens? They get screen time, but right. that could be but, whole nother podcast. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because I, I do think that screen time, especially if you have a child who has a delay, you should, you know, you should teach parents like how you can replace screen time with something else that still gives the parents some independent time. Because usually what parents are doing when they give their child screen time, it's because they want to get stuff done. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, there yeah. are some parents who think there's an educational component to it where you have to try to explain that, well, it depends on what you're watching and how you can watch it with your child. But right. I think as a speech therapist also, we have to be very careful about being coming across as judgmental yes. and just um, making sure that we are you know, not not judging them. Right. Yeah. Survival mode. Yeah. No, absolutely. Every single kid I have of my own uh, has their own iPad. So (laughs) that's how they debrief. You know what I mean? Just a little bit. We definitely have a bit of like a chart, you know, on the the fridge where they're allowed to do it for 30 minutes a day. And um, I'm pretty lucky. My kids are, they're really active. So they like to do a lot of stuff outside and they're in a lot of different sports. But I know that is a hard thing for parents because they do need that, that time away. I know too, one of the other sweet therapist that's done a course on my site has talked about, you know, having toys that don't require batteries that, you know, allow you to be more imaginative. And then this idea of the toy rotation, like when I'm really kind of on my parenting A game, I do, I rotate the books in my kids' like bedroom, like everybody has a book bin. And when I'm not really stressed, so probably not all of 2020, but, you know, I would like get out the holiday books. This year it was more like, let's get out the holiday books. Oh my gosh, the holidays tomorrow. Let's read all the books. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But at least I had a game plan. You know what I mean? So I like that idea. It's like, those are just little things that you can embed, like this idea of a toy rotation where maybe some of the toys are out. You know, if you have a birthday or something, sometimes you get this big influx of things and my kids, they don't even need anything. You know what I mean? So if you have that, that's a good idea. Okay, I like that idea of uh, of rotating the toys. Another thing is I find that you, you know, the transitions can sometimes be a little tricky for for young children and I think that sometimes just getting things done in the house can be a little tricky too when you have a toddler and you want to get stuff done so instead of just giving them the iPad or instead of just letting them watch TV which you know you may have to do every once in a while try to get them to to, to help you like it, get them involved in the chores toddlers can 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 do some simple activities with you whether or not it's you know taking the table the the plates from the table and putting them in the sink helping helping get the laundry and putting it in the in the washer and then mm-hmm. you know guiding them to press the buttons and there's so much language in, in each different activity especially verbs there's a lot uh-huh. of verbs and verbs really drive word combinations so that's the, you, you can say, you know, spray, mm-hmm. dry, dust, I mean, sweep, broom, press, push, you know, when you're doing the laundry and stuff, mm-hmm. sort of, <laughs> things that you wouldn't normally say in, in other situations. So, and I think that those can be plate can become these, the, the, almost like bonding experiences if you are enjoying the moment and not rushing through them all the time. And I think that you can, you can sing songs while you're doing it mm-hmm. and you can, you can make it into a race to like, okay, we're going to take all the, 
all the socks and put all the socks in this pile. Let's see how fast we can go. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Right. Yeah. No, I love that. We were just talking about how much laundry we have before I pressed record. Yes. <laughs> like, man, it's got a lot of action words for laundry because we were yeah. just, you're doing a deep dive before I press record on how much laundry we have uh, yeah. with all of our kids. But yeah, no, I love that. And actually last summer I made some PDFs and we'll, we'll link them up in the show notes. But one was a PDF geared towards speech therapists and parents about just like you're saying, like these are action words we could talk about when we're doing a cooking activity. These are, mm-hmm. you know, directions or action words or verbal imitation targets that we could address when our child is doing laundry. And I I knew we were going to talk about this today. And I was thinking the one small tip that I would have that's helpful, even for like, because I used to do a lot of cooking activities with the kids. Um, When I was working in a non-public program, we would have this beautiful board maker recipe. And then we had like really nice cabinets and the kids would, you know, match the icon, get the items out. We would make things together before there weren't as many food allergies or maybe we didn't know about them. And so then everybody would take a turn stirring. It wasn't like somebody had the sole responsibility for doing everything. So I was thinking about that today when I was getting on the call is like, you don't have to have your child participate in the entire cooking activity, the entire laundry activity. Maybe they just stir like even my own kids, like they want to, you know, my child who's younger is going to start kindergarten. I was just thinking about that. When kids are toddlers, they do. They want to like be right by your side. They are your helper. And sometimes you're kind of like, oh my gosh, this is going to take me twice as long. But I always try to just think like, okay, what's one little thing they can do that's going to be nice and like, just like you said, a shared moment. Um, so I would like have my kids, if I made like muffins from scratch, which like I think I'd used to do a couple years ago, you know, I'd let them stir. And then I was like, okay, mommy's going to do the rest and then we'll set the timer, you know, and try to make it fun where they're just participating in maybe one section of the activity. Yes. So it doesn't take three hours to make the exactly. muffins. No, I'm not, I'm not trying to suggest they do the whole thing with you. And right. I just find that they want to do a little bit and then it it builds up their confidence. Mm -hmm. And there's this great book I read. It's called How to Raise Kind Kids. And the author, Dr. Lacuna, he has this quote, and I'm just going to read it here because I have it. And he says, our children won't become responsible unless they have responsibility. And like everything that starts at the home, in the home. And He goes on to talk about the importance of chores and how that builds character and confidence. Mm -hmm. And for, you know, a language as a speech language pathologist, you can also build language into it. Mm -hmm. So, but but if it's, if it's also going to improve all these other domains, like why not try to get them to to come along and do it? (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a great idea. And even some of the older students that I work with when they're trying to work on vocational skills and competitive employment. I can tell the parents that have the children at home, they do have responsibilities. Like they know how to fold their clothes. They know how to hang things on a hanger. You know, I can tell that this was not the first time they've ever tried these different tasks. And I think that's a good idea because sometimes I think that, you know, that part of giving your child responsibilities, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's harder on us on the front end of things. But wow, what great things like our child will feel good about themselves. We're building functional routines in the home. And I remember one time I was at this party with a fellow speech therapist and she had an adult autistic son and like everybody knew him and we're like, oh, hey, so-and-so, you know, we were talking and that really wasn't his jam. He didn't want to hang out with everybody, but he was doing laundry during the party, which was totally fine because he liked being part of it and he would Uh come out and talk to everybody. But those kind of, and I thought it was really poignant what she said, those daily activities really are what brought him joy. 
Like he liked going to his job as an adult. He's an adult now. Mm-hmm. He liked doing laundry. He liked making his food. Where us, for us, sometimes that can feel like, oh, I have to do laundry. Oh man, I have to cook dinner for everybody. For some people, that could be something like we talked about. This is familiar. This is part of my day. I know how to do this. There's you know, also so, completion there. You're mm-hmm. starting something and finishing it and you can see the end result. Right. Um, so, and that's probably very rewarding and soothing to, to some people. Some people have even said that they like ironing clothes. Who are these people? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was like, you can call, iron my clothes, but... Call the dryer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and I think that there's so many other ways like to make things playful. And I think like, for, and you can embed language into it. So for instance, you're giving your children a bath mm-hmm. and you're, you know, they're in the bath. Maybe you give them some bath toys you can play with them with the bath toys. But what I like to sometimes do is just like, Oh, okay, let's get out now. And they stand up I'm like, okay, what, what are you, what are you waiting for? And you just forgot to give them the towel or something. Right. You know, you forgot right. to give them an essential item. And then they're and it just triggers a reaction from them, whether right. or not it's a look at in the face, if you're trying to get that joint attention, or if it if it's a point, you know, to the towel, or if it's them trying to say the word towel, you know, or if it's a laughter, if it's laughing. So I just feel like that those are just some fun things you can do. Other things you can do, you can besides singing songs, is if you need them to say you're all downstairs in the living room and it's time to go to bed. You can play a favorite song on your phone and sing the song while you go upstairs, you know, whether mm-hmm. or not it's Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, You Are My Sunshine. <laughs> oh, like yeah. I love that one. Yeah. No, we have Alexa. I I, I do like Alexa. We have her oh. things. Yeah. Things like that. So I like those kind of these ideas of setting these kind of things because once you talk about it, you're like, oh, yeah, I could do that. Oh. That's something we could do. It sounds well, doable, right? In my experience, I find that sometimes parents, they're just like so... In myself included, we're just so just want to get through the day, get through our, mm-hmm. our to-do list that we forget sometimes about these little moments that happen throughout the day where we can really spark communication and spark joyfulness. Yes. And it doesn't have to be something that's long, you know, long and drawn mm-hmm. out. I mean, I do think there are times where you should spend one-on-one time with a child, especially mm-hmm. if they're having going through something that that might be difficult or need more mm-hmm. more stimulation. But you know, we're talking, this is for busy, stressed out parents. And I think that um, a lot of times we don't have to be perfect parents. We just have to try our best. And I think yeah. that we are always striving to try to be these, I mean, at least the people I, I am seeing in my practice, I get a lot of type A parents uh-huh. who are wonderful. I mean, I think that as a private practice clinician who's very small, I want it, I want it, I attract parents who really want to be involved in the therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's may may sometimes um, you know, skew my perception mm-hmm. on on the people who are out there. But I think that that's you know, you have to just try to make everyone feel that they're doing their best or or, right. or try to give them little steps to help them feel that they're mm-hmm. doing a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think parents need, I mean, I think everybody needs that, but I have seen that too with parents is, you know, that's one of the things I try to coach. I do some mentorship with speech therapists and it's like, okay, for parent training, you know, maybe, you know, because I tend to work with kids with autism, it's like, okay, maybe we're working on requesting or we're working on, like you said, some of these contrived situations where like, oh no, where's the towel? You know, something silly like that. You know, maybe we just coach them on that one skill for one month and we talk about 
you know, why is this important? What are, then the next week, it's like opportunities we could practice. And then we check in and say, how's it going? It doesn't have to always be something different every week. Um, I think that's important to that repetition piece, because that's really how people start to eventually incorporate things into their, into their family's lifestyle. You know, I agree. I agree. Doesn't it, I think that the change of that child should be something that you see if it's effective therapy. There is, should, you should be able to see the progress pretty quickly. I'm not saying they're going to be talking overnight, but seeing the attempts. Mm-hmm. But with parents, it can like anything. Like if you're trying to change your diet, how you're mm-hmm. eating, it takes a long time. And that, that's the same thing with like trying to um, you know make changes with maybe how you're communicating with your child or learning how to to, to embed these strategies into your daily routines where you're not over overly anticipating your child's needs too. Mm-hmm. Or just like, oh, they want the water. Let's give them the water immediately. Right, so, right. No, I think everybody benefits from that type of coaching because I've seen some parents who are like, okay, we're going to, my child is going to sit in this chair and we're going to do flashcards. And I'm like, that's not really how therapy works. For yeah. anybody, really. So no, that's not going to work. No, you know? no. And versus other parents that are like completely fine, you know, if it's more play-based and child-led. And I think some kind of my style is more just kind of a mix between the two. But, you know, it's it's good to show parents like, you know, we can like do these play-based things and every once in a while something, like you said, like maybe something's more directed or we're sitting down with the child right. um, and doing something more pointed. But yeah, those are good, very good tips. Oh my I gosh. Do find, I do find that if, if you have a parent who who gravitates to the flashcards, you have to try to ask like, why, why, why do you have the flashcards out? Like, right. why are you doing this? Are, are you thinking that working with a young t- toddler is, is similar to working with a, a school-age kid? Mm-hmm. So you can start educating them on the difference and how toddlers learn by doing, by touching, by manipulating the, the, the items. And that's how they, they get those first words. Right. But another thing is, or are they doing the flashcards because they don't necessarily want to sit down and play with them? And if that's the case, don't necessarily... I, I wouldn't recommend the flashcards only because I feel like they're one-dimensional. Right. Not, and I think that you have to be very careful too with not being judgmental or casting right. kind of judgment and, and doing it in a way that you're talking down to the parent because they are trying to do their best. So if it's a flashcard, I would try to move them to a picture book or a board book. Right. They, that is, is, is tied in the context. It's tied in a um, in a story, mm-hmm. and I think it would be a lot more meaningful for the child. And you can, you know, I mean, there's times you can just. I think that sometimes you know, parents are like, oh, well, he won't sit down for a whole book. Read the book while he's playing. Read the book while I know. he's. That's you know, yeah. That's really what I've been working on, and I, I feel like you know because I tend to work with students who are autistic, and parents yeah. are you know some of the parents that I work with are just they're worried. You know what I mean? Like they're worried about their kids, and they're not yet communicating or functional communication. And so, you know, this idea of, and I'm not saying, you know, I have the Action Builder cards and another product called Double Up. So, you know, yeah, for school age kids, I do think those things are important. Every once in a while, we might do some, you know, when my kids were little, you know, I went to the dollar store and I bought like the early learner cards. I think it's a very small part of what we're going to do. But what I've tried to tell parents is like, I can't make your child label things. I can't make any students say things. I have to go into your home. I have to build a relationship with your child and with you. 
and I need to, you know, just enjoy this moment together. And as a speech therapist, I think that's what we do so great is like, you know, planning a session for somebody who's an early learner, who's kind of running around. And, you know, I'm like, you know, they don't have to sit, you know, like I just read a uh, chicka chicka boom, boom to a new client that I was working with and, and the student loved it. And it was five minutes and it was yeah. a shared activity, joint attention. They were filling in the blanks. And I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, this is such a great moment. But I think sometimes parents, um, especially because I'm a BCBA. So a lot of these families are also getting ABA and I'm kind of like this mix of both of these yeah, things. Yeah, but absolutely. I just think when the kids are so little, you know, that is really where it's at is this idea of, but have you ever experienced parents who, who want to do flashcards, who want to do more sitting at the table? And do you ever encounter that? I'm just curious. Oh yeah, I do. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of parents who find me, find me through my books or find me mm-hmm. through my websites. And I, I am no longer in my, in my toddler talks, I talk, I, I mentioned how, you know, you don't really want to stress too much of the academics with mm-hmm. the, the young kids who aren't talking yet. And I have a line in there about flashcards so I, I think parents may have already been primed by my <laughs> out there in the universe, but I am no longer telling parents you cannot use flashcards because yeah. I, I feel like as you go through this journey as being a speech speaker, mm-hmm. as a speech therapist or as a person, as a parent, I think you have to be very careful. And I feel like I don't like to say never, I never like to say never right. <laughs> anymore because but but when it comes to a young child, I find that a young child who's not talking, the flashcards could be a little tricky if you're trying to teach them a word from it. If you're trying to maybe reinforce, it might be a different mm-hmm. thing. Like if they already know what an apple is, maybe you're showing right. them sort of a different type of apple. Mm-hmm. Or maybe if you're showing them, you know, different types of cows and then it's going to click. Right. Yeah. Like generalizing. I like that. Yeah. Because I think everybody has a different, I like that idea of never saying never because I used to do a lot of training. I was an autism facilitator down in Austin, Texas um, for this 35 school district. And I would talk about a lot age respectful leisure for, for older students. And I would say like, well, we should never allow older kids to do bubbles or anything, you know, like Barney or whatever. And I've really come full circle on that. I'm like, you know what, if it's in your special ed classroom and nobody cares, and as long as we're showing them other things like, you know, walking on the track is fun too, and more age respectful things like yoga. But I think back to some of those talks and I think, oh, I shouldn't have been so like, oh, you can't, you know, like you shouldn't. Yeah, life isn't like that. It's especially right. with kids. It's not one or the other. And I, I, you're, I even, I think it's very easy to get caught up on that and seeing things like that because a lot of graphics come out on Instagram and social media <laughs> that are like oh, that oversimplify very mm-hmm. complex situations and complex develop, you know, development. Yeah, so. yeah. Absolutely. Social media. Oh, yeah, no, it's, it's a good thing. And it's a bad thing. Oh my gosh. Well, I really enjoyed our talk. Um, what is, I always end with the same uh, last question here. What is the most important piece of advice that you would want to pass along to parents or professionals about communication? I would say, and I think I, I said this earlier in the podcast, but I would say, try to do the best you can with what you got for in the time being, <laughs> because Hmm, this is tricky. Um, I guess I, I I would say you don't have to worry about being perfect. You just have to worry about trying your best in the moment and having fun and enjoying it and being fully present with your child. I would say my my I would say my my best piece of advice would be take several moments throughout the day to be fully present with your child mm-hmm. and to just enjoy them with maybe no judgment, no worries, and just to truly enjoy them. 
Love that. Yes. I think we all need that, right? As parents and even just speech therapists with their own caseloads. Like, don't think about the progress reports. Don't think about the IEPs. Just be present in this moment. Like, this is why we're a speech therapist. This is exciting. And I think that's a good reminder for me too. So where can people find out more about you and your work? I have um, two websites. I have scalinspeech.com and I have mytoddlertalks.com. So scalinspeech.com is my website that includes everything up from preschool to school age children. And then My Toddler Talks is just dedicated to toddler language development. Oh, wonderful. Such great information today. In the show notes, I'm going to link up a couple of the PDFs that I talked about, the cooking PDF. We also have a laundry PDF that are completely free. Great for you if you're a speech therapist or you're a parent, how to embed communication into those functional routines. So give those a look. Make sure to check the show notes for resources we discussed. And I hope that you enjoyed the show. If you haven't done so already, make sure to hit subscribe and write a review. Remember to keep things fun and functional and I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for having me. (laughs) Oh yeah, thanks. This was perfect. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.